0: We're going to be in John chapter 18, as you know, it was read to us earlier. How many of you have been to New York City in the last 10 years? Anybody? A few of you? Okay. Times Square. We were, we were a few uh, weeks ago, we took our boys to New York City and we had a blast. We had so much fun. And we um, went down to Times Square. Well, first we were down at the Empire State Building. We were walking back up toward Times Square, and we were walking down Broadway. And as we were walking, walking up on Broadway, I remember the moment when I could see the first, like, screen. You know, they have those, those, like, big billboard screens. And I could see the first one way out there as we were walking up. And I showed the boys. I said, see that up there? I'm like, keep your eyes on that. That's where we're headed. That's Times Square. You're going to be impressed, you know? And we kept walking. And as we were getting closer, you could start to see more and more lights. And you could see their eyes getting bigger and bigger and being like, whoa. You know. And then they get there, and it's just like stuff everywhere. And they're like looking around, and they're like, wow. And they're like, M&Ms. And they're like, cars, pirates. you know, And they're like pointing out all this stuff. And then they're like, where's Toys R Us? You know. We, we went into Toys R Us, and we had a blast and everything. One of the things that uh, amazed me, I mean, Times Square has actually changed a lot in the last 10 years. It's been about 10 years since I had been up there. And um, when we got up there, I looked, and it was so amazing how much has been done that uh, when I, any one of those advertisements, like you know any one of the billboards, any one of the signs, any one of the lights, if you took it out of Times Square and you went and put it in Pottstown, you know it 'd be like, "Whoa that 's an advertisement you know and it 'd be like an amazing advertisement, it would catch everyone 's eye and it would have massive impact. And yet when you put it in Times Square, surrounded by everything else, sometimes it just gets completely lost because there's so much going on in Times Square. And this is kind of how life is right now. There's so much activity that happens around us all the time and, and so many words that happen that the more there is, the less impact and the less value each story, each action, each word holds. And, you know, it used to be that the things in the news, one thing would happen and we'd be like, whoa, did you hear about what happened in today? It's like, you know, there's like 10 of them a day or something. And, and to, to be in the, in the place of the president is not an enviable position, you know, and there's so much happening and there's so many words, even more than the actions that are taking place. There's words everywhere. Words are constantly being communicated and sometimes they begin to lose their value. Because there's so much happening that you could say the most seemingly profound thing, and yet it just kind of loses its value, you know, because there's so much. And yet every now and then, there's still just the right thing at the right time in the right way, and it's deeper. It's fuller. It's more profound. It carries impact, and it changes things. There's weight to it. And today in this passage we're looking at one action and one phrase. One word spoken, one action done. And it changes everything. It's profound, it's deeper in the middle of all the noise, in the middle of all the Times Squareness. <laughs> How do you like that? The Times Squareness. In the middle of all the Times Squareness, that something happens, an action is taken, and it changes things. And a word is spoken and it changes things. And this is going to be a picture, it's a awesome picture in the scriptures of godly authority, of biblical leadership, and and of the power of God at work. And so I want you to look first at the action and what takes place. And this is John chapter 18, just in the first four verses here. When he had finished praying, we'll come back to that, (laughs) Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who was to betray him, knew the place because Jesus had often met, with his, met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials and the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Who makes the first step in this story? Jesus. Jesus takes the first step. It's easy in this situation to think that maybe Jesus is a victim. And in some ways, of course, Jesus is a victim. I mean, he's the one who's going to be paying the punishment for all of our sins. He's on the receiving end of the consequences of our injustice and of our sin. And in so, some ways, he's kind of a victim. But victims are, are people who look, you know, helpless, like something's happening to them that they can't stop and they have no control over. But who takes the step to start this? Jesus. Jesus takes the step to start this whole process. He knows what's about to happen. And he looks across the Kidron Valley, and he decides, I'm going to go there. Jesus takes charge, and he takes control. You know, uh, yesterday we were down at my uh, parents' place down at the river, the Susquehanna River, and uh, there's this trail that goes up into the woods, and there's a waterfall up there, and uh, it's a nice little place. It's actually where I proposed to Jen. We have good memories there, and now we take the boys up there, and they skip rocks and play around in the creek. Um, And one of the favorite things they they do, especially Evan, when we're running up this trail, is he, he likes to... Grab a hold of me and run way out in front of mom. And then we hide. It's like kind of on these, like, there's all these, like, rock spots and everything. We'll, we'll tuck behind a rock spot or behind some trees or behind some thickets and, and we hide from mom, you know? And then she comes in looking around and then we jump out. Ah, you know, <laughs> that's one of his favorite things to do. Of course, Evan is still like, growing in his ability to really find a good hiding spot although yesterday he had his best one ever um but but he's he's still kind of a kid and what's more is is he decided to bring colton along this time or i don't know if he decided to but colton came along and, and when you bring colton along it's a whole nother thing because colton's just laughing and giggling and he can't be quiet and he's like ball of energy like you know and so here they are trying to hide from mom and of course jen knows exactly where they are you know and she comes walking through but she wants to have good family moment, you know? And so she engages the process and she plays along, you know? And here they are hiding and, and waiting for her and, and she kind of, like, she'll see them and then she kind of looks the other way. Where are they? You know, and then she's like, ah, you know, and plays along. And in some ways, this is kind of a picture of what actually happened with Christ, except it's not fun and games, you know? It's not fun and games. He knows that there's a trap that's being set for him. As a matter of fact, he tells Judas, go do what you have to do, leave the last supper, go do what it is you have to do, go set your trap for me, go play your game, go do what it is that you're going to do, and whatever you're going to do, do it quickly, because I'm going to be showing up there in a couple hours, you know, and so Judas goes, and he does what it is that Judas does, and then Jesus was praying, and, and after he's done praying, and after Jesus was done praying, it says that he got up, and he, and he looks over, and And he decides to walk across the Kidron Valley. See, he's in Jerusalem. And this is the the Kidron Valley separates the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. And there's this ravine down in between. And, uh, And in Jerusalem is where he will die. And in Jerusalem is where he just had the last supper. But he has to go over to where the trap is, which is in the prayer spot in the garden. And in order to get this process started, he needs to go over there. And he knows what, how Judas thinks, and he knows what Judas is going to do, and he knows that Judas would think he's going to pray over there. And so he's going to go over to this place to pray. And I would imagine, this is the picture I get. This is the picture here. Is that, have you ever seen someone? Have you ever seen a, like, like seen a guy who he, he's determined and just looks at something and just sets his jaw, sets his gaze on it, sets his jaw maybe drops a shoulder like a soldier and just starts to walk deliberately towards something. This is the picture. Someone unstoppable, someone unmovable. Jesus looks, he sets his gaze, and he takes the step. Make no mistake, Jesus is not being trapped. Jesus is giving himself up. And so Jesus walks deliberately, and and this is the action. The action is that he crosses the Kidron Valley and goes to the place where he knows what's about to happen. It's the action. In all the time squareness, in all the actions, there's all sorts of people all behind closed doors, whispering, making their plans, sharpening their swords, getting their lanterns, talking about what they're going to do, and here they come, and everybody's doing all this stuff. But there's one action that's deeper than the rest. It's the only action that actually makes something happen. All the other actions are dependent on this one action that Jesus decides to engage the process. And start the process. So he walks across the Kidron Valley. Now, when he walks across the Kidron Valley into the trap, it comes to the second thing, and and he doesn't he doesn't just uh, have an action; he has a word. And I want to pick up, and and you'll see what the word is here. Again, in John chapter eighteen. Now, picking up, we're going to read verse four again, and then and then read down to verse six. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him. He went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, listen to this, listen very carefully. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. You ever seen that happen before? I've never seen that happen. I I have seen... People say things that really affect someone physically. Like if, if they pass on, When in the in a previous church we were in, I remember we were only there a month and the guy who was the moderator of the church and had been there for a long time and a pillar in the community, I remember Galen, the senior pastor, getting up that Sunday and he said, I have some news. And uh, Darwin has, has died this week. And I remember the whole place. He, he died of a heart attack. And I remember the whole place just (gasps) like a big gasp because no one expected it, you know. And and, uh, a middle-aged man in in, in his prime. And, And he had died. And I remember in that moment just feeling, wow, that was a word that carried weight, you know. But I'll tell you what I've never seen is I've never seen something happen like this passage is talking about happen with Jesus. He steps forward and he says, I am he. And when he says, I am he, it says that they drew back and they fell to the ground. It's almost like a shock wave came out of his mouth and just everyone fell, boom, fell down. Because Jesus says, I am he. What's going on? What is the power? In, what is this word? What is this power that that Jesus is talking about? What's happening here that's making this, this word so profound? They can't handle a voice. There's something about this word, about this voice, that has so much authority. You see, it, it reminds me of, of, again, my boys, every now and then they'll get into, and I'm sure that no one else's kids ever have this problem, but every now and then my kids will get into this spot where one of them will be here and they'll be like, nuh-uh, and the other one over here says, "Uh uh-huh, uh uh uh-huh, uh uh uh-huh, uh uh uh-huh, and it keeps getting higher and higher. And then what do I say? Boys, and what do they do? They start looking around, you know, snapping a line. Boys, there's a different tone in that voice. And there's a different authority behind that voice. And they hear that voice and it changes the game because they see where each had their own angle. And they were trying to gain the, the control and the power with each other and each work their own angle. But then all of a sudden, boom, the other word comes in. And it's a deeper word. It's a more profound word and it carries more weight to it. And they were and, boom, right in the line, you know. And this is what's going on, except it's not happening with little kids. It's happening with grown men. You see, it's grown men who are over here. We're not going to let Jesus take control of this place. We, we, he's taking our power from us. Over here, I'm sick of living poor, man. I'm going to get paid, you know, and so I'm going to betray Jesus. Or over here, you know, Peter, I'm not going to fall tonight. I'm not going to, you know, all of this. And then the word comes in. The word, I am he. You see, what's happening is there's deception on every level. There's pride. There's greed. And people aren't seeing clearly. All they're seeing is themselves. And so they're living in this surface world. In this, It's almost a fake world that's created by the enemy where they're all tra- they understand things in a certain way. What they understand is, is that the way you gain control and the way you get done what you want is you find out how to manipulate the political system, how to carry more swords, to be a little bit bigger, to to get the upper hand on the person in order to accomplish what it is I need to accomplish. It says that a detachment of soldiers came with them. You know what a detachment is? Apparently, um, like if there's a legion of soldiers, there's a detachment is one one-tenth of that, and, and that's 6,000, so it means there's 600 soldiers. So six, it sounds, the language here leads us to think there's actually 600 soldiers who come with these religious leaders and all of that. 600 soldiers rolling up in, in, into this olive grove, you know? And for for how many guys, how many guys are they fighting here? 11. Well, uh, 12. Yeah, 12 guys. They're, they're fight- Yeah, one is another way of saying that, that's true. Um, but... But it's 12 guys, not 13, because Judas is on the other side now, you know? And so there's 11 11 men and and Jesus. So there's 12 of them, 600 soldiers plus all the other people they're bringing. Why in the world are they bringing 600 soldiers into this little garden? Why? Because they're afraid. Why are they afraid? Should they be afraid? Of course they should be afraid. See, this is the thing. They don't know all who Jesus is, but they know that every time they've tried to get him before, that he finds a way to get away. They also know that he's been pulling stuff that they don't comprehend and they don't understand. And they know they got one good shot at this, and they're going to do their best to make sure it happens. Now, they got in their back pocket, they got the government. You know, like Caiaphas, You read it in, as, as Scott read, Caiaphas is the one who said, it's better for one man to die for the rest of the people which he didn't even know what he was saying when he said that, because that's exactly what happened. But he's saying... It's it's okay. We'll just we'll just let this one slip. This injustice slip. They had the government in their back pocket. We got that taken care of. So we got this corner taken care of. Now it's eleven people here, and we got six hundred plus over here. So we got that one covered. And they're doing the math. They're doing the ratios, and they're trying to build a wall that makes sure that they're the ones in control, and that they can get done what it is that they want to get done. And this is how men work. This is how it works when you try to gain control, when you try to gain power, is you try to do all the numbers, add up the math, and see if you can actually get what you want. And that's what they're doing. But the problem is, is there's still one part of them, a deeper part, that recognizes, this guy's still a little bit unquantified. We've never seen anyone like this. We don't know exactly what kind of punch he actually packs. And so I would imagine that as they walk up into here, that they still have fear. And what happens is, is in this moment, he's the one who makes the first step across the Kidron Valley. And as they come with their lanterns and their torches and their weapons, and they come walking toward them, he's the one, it says, who takes a step forward. And he's the one who asks the first question. He says, who is it you're looking for? Knowing exactly what the answer is going to be. And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. They're not looking for the Son of God. They're not looking for the Messiah. They're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, this guy who's standing in the way. And when he steps forward and he says, I am he, something happens. Something changes. You see, they were in an atmosphere of deception. They were in an atmosphere of fear. They were in an atmosphere of selfishness, of pride, of greed, and of hatred. But out of his mouth came something that we might call pure, unadulterated truth. And it's filled and, and surrounded with the power of love. And when love comes out into selfishness, it's like when light penetrates darkness. When truth comes into deception, it expels everything in its way. And the atmosphere, the air, the aura of the moment is of selfishness and of deception and of fear. And it's men who are trying to work their angles. And it's men who are trying to be in charge. And they're saying, nuh-uh, uh huh uh uh-uh. And in the middle of it, Jesus steps forward and he says, I am he. And when he does, the truth that comes out of his mouth, they don't know what to do with. Bam! Down. Down. And one day, every knee will bow. And one day, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, is Lord of all. And that truth is a truth that will bring us to our knees, like it or not. And in the moment, 600 men with swords, and a government, even the Roman government, in their back pocket means nothing. A simple word from Jesus' mouth, and they fall. And they draw back. And in that moment, they should have known. They should have known. But you know what? It wasn't up to them. It was up to him. He's the one who spoke the word. He's the one who crossed the Kidron Valley. At this point, if they wanted to stop the process, they couldn't have stopped the process. Maybe they could have bailed out, but they could not have stopped this process. It was happening because Jesus wanted it to happen, because he crossed the Kidron Valley, because he's the king of kings, because he's the Lord of lords. You see, they came looking for a fight. They came with swords looking for a fight and they wanted to engage him. And what they didn't understand, what they didn't understand in this moment, is he wasn't going to fight the way they fight. But they were going to get a fight. There will be a fight on this night and there will be blood shed. But the one whose blood shed won't be the one who loses, he'll be the one who wins. This is how it works. Jesus always flips things the other way. You see, they come in with their swords and their weapons of hatred, and they're going to win the battle. But Jesus, when he walks across the Kidron Valley, and when he walks to this garden, and when he steps forward and says, I am he, what he's doing is he's engaging in warfare. He's fighting a battle. But he's not fighting them. He's fighting the sin that holds them bondage. And he's fighting the prince of darkness who is casting the spell of deception all around them. And in this moment, Jesus decides, here is the time. My father has said that tonight is the time. Tonight is the moment. Every other time that they've come after him, he knew it wasn't his time and he found a way to just slide right out and move. But in this moment, if they they wanted him to get away, he wouldn't have got away. (laughs) They couldn't, no one could get him away because it was his decision, I'm going to engage this battle tonight, and I'm going to win this war tonight, and I'm going to do it by shedding blood, and it's going to be my own at their hands. And he steps in, drops his shoulder, sets his jaw, walks across the Kidron Valley, steps in, says, who are you looking for? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. He steps in. I am he. They fall flat. Then the story picks up again. Verse 7, again he asked them, Who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. (laughs) I told you that I am he. Jesus answered, I love that. I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happens so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. You know when he spoke those words? In the chapter before, like an hour before when he was praying. And he said, I haven't lost any of these you've spoken to me. That's when he said it. And it says, so that they would be fulfilled. (laughs) Like it was a prophetic word for an hour later. You know, (laughs) it's amazing. And he, um, so I have not lost one of these you gave me. So he steps forward, he protects them. They get away. Then, here it is. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Peter's got to work on his name. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? I want to take a minute to just contrast... What Peter's doing and what Jesus is doing. What separates these two? What separates the actions of Jesus and the actions of Peter in this moment? I mean, obviously, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God incarnate. But yet, I, you know, I fully believe that Jesus, when he empties himself, he empties himself of these divine powers and he just gets into, into a position of servitude and submission to his Father. And he lives in obedience to his Father and he lives in a place of faith. And all the power that Jesus channels is the power of his Father working through him in submission. He's not just wielding power of God all over the place. He's in a in a posture of submission, and so what separates Peter and him is not just that he's pulling the big God trump card. What separates him is something different. What's separating him from Peter in this moment? What's different between them? Peter, Peter's always had an interesting relationship with Jesus, hasn't he? It's been this like hot and cold relationship. That's I, I remember like Peter's the first one jumping out of the boat and walking on water, and the first one to sink. You know. And, and he's, the, he's the one who declares, first of all, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, well done. You know, the, the church is going to be built upon you. And here are the keys. And in the next sentence, when Jesus says, you know, I- I'm going to go and die on the cross and, and I'm going to rise from the dead, Peter's like, no. And he rebukes him. It says he rebukes Jesus. And Jesus turns around and he says, get behind me, Satan. It's this hot and cold thing. Even that night, remember what happened that night? Jesus is in the upper room with him. And Jesus goes to wash his feet, stoops down to wash his feet. And Peter's like, you can't do this. You can't wash my feet. This isn't how we do this. Jesus, you can't wash my feet. You're the master. I'm this, you know, I should be washing your feet. And I can just imagine in the back of Jesus' head, well, then why didn't you? Because we all still got dirty feet up in here, you know, and you didn't wash feet, you know, and, and, you didn't. but, but now, Peter, you need to know you actually need your feet washed and you always miss the moment. And so here I am washing your feet. Don't get big on pride now, you know? (laughs) You already blew it. You missed the opportunity. And then he's like, well, then fine. Wash my whole body. And I can just imagine, at this moment, man, if I'm Jesus, my temper is on a hair right here. And I'm like, listen to me. Listen to me. How many times do I have to tell you, Peter? You keep trying to tell me what to do. When I tell you that I'm going to go to the cross, you rebuke me. When I tell you to look at me, you get your eyes off and you get big on your horse and you start sinking. I'm telling you, I'm just, you got to hear me on this, Peter. We don't not wash your feet and we don't wash your whole body. Get into a posture of submission and listen to me and let me wash your feet. Believe me, it's what you need. Do you believe that I'm the Messiah or not? You're the one who said that I'm the Christ, the son of the living God. If you actually believe that, then why are you telling me how this should work? Can you please stop trying to describe to me how I should treat you? And can you please just be quiet for a second and let me do my job so that I can love you? And yet that's, of course, not how Jesus responds. That's how I would have responded. (laughs) That's how I kind of wish sometimes he would respond. And then I am so grateful he doesn't because he'd have to do it to me every day. But here they are in the garden and the soldiers come in looking for a fight and Peter gives them exactly what it is they're looking for. He gives them exactly what it is they're looking for. A Some little guy without much aim taking out his sword and chopping an ear off when there's 600 guys with swords and torches and lanterns. Like, okay, Peter, Way to be the hero tonight, buddy. You know, and like this is what's going on. You see, what's happening with Peter is it's been happening all throughout his life. There's a part of him that knows Jesus and he understands and his heart loves this man. But there's this part of him that's unsettled, that still wants to be more of a man himself, who wants to be one who, can, who Jesus can count on. He wants to be loyal and faithful. He wants to be the strong one. And so that's why he always says, Jesus, you don't have to die on the cross. We'll take care of. You know, And even that night, what happens after the whole foot-washing thing is that Jesus says, I'm going to die. And in three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. And Peter knows better than to say you're not going to die because last time he got called Satan for that. So this time, instead of that, what he says is, no matter what happens to you, I will be with you to the end. I will go where you do. I'll, I'll do whatever. And, and Jesus looks at him and he says, Peter, before that rooster crows tonight, you're going to deny that you know me three times. Now, you can just imagine, man, the, the internal ego of Peter and what's happening is so frustrated in this moment, man. All he wants to do is be reliable for Jesus. All he wants to do is do a good job. And every time he tries to do it, Jesus has to point out how he can't do it. And, and he loves the man and he wants to serve him. But man, aren't we on the same squad here, Jesus? I mean, come on. And you can tell there's some frustration inside of him. And he just wants desperately to be able to do the right thing and to be able to prove himself to Jesus once and for all, you know? And so he says in this night, Jesus, man, you must not know me. You must not know me yet. You've been with me for three years, but you must not know me because tonight, I'll tell you what, you might say I'm gonna deny you, but tonight I will be by your side and I will protect you, prove you wrong. I don't know what he's trying to do, but tonight you will see who I am. Because inside of him, there's an unsettledness. His identity isn't solid yet. His legitimacy and sense of significance, his sense of value. See, he doesn't have it rooted in God yet. He still needs to prove something. And so he's still trying to show Jesus and show the disciples and show himself that he's something special. And so tonight, no matter what happens, count on it. Peter's not going to let it go down. And so when there's 600 soldiers and they're staring at him, growling, salivating, waiting for this guy to draw a sword, shing, whoosh, and he goes after it. And I, I mean, it's, it's, it's pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. And you know how pathetic I am and we are all the time when we try to prove ourselves? when we try to do something important and significant and feel special and, and be this person or be that, because we're trying to be something and we don't feel good about who we are yet, so we're going to go and we're going to do this special thing or we're going to conquer this thing or we're going to hold our ground or we're not going to let that person talk this way about us or we're going to accomplish this great task. And, and it's just like Peter taking out his little dagger against 600 soldiers with swords. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely absurd. And again, if I was in Jesus' Head in that moment, I believe that I would respond something like this The sword comes out, shing. P- Peter. Peter. Man, please put your sword away. We've been through this over and over again. Man, I know that you want to be special. I know that you want to do something profound and important, but you've got to get through your head, man. I'm not the one who needs to be protected. I'm not the one who needs to be saved. Come to terms with it, man. You're a sinner. You need me. I don't need you. I need to help you. And the quicker you get it through your head that I'm actually the Redeemer. And that you can't impress me this way. This Run for the hills, man. Put it in your sheath and run for the hills. I'll do the saving work here. Don't be a Messiah. Don't try to be who you're not. Just trust me. I got this. You know what Peter should have said in the moment when Jesus was in that upper room and he told him you're going to deny me three times tonight? You know what he should have done, right? He should have cried. And he should have said he was sorry. Because no word that proceeds from the mouth of God returns void. His words are greater than our words. And when he says them, They go out and accomplish exactly what it is that they set out to accomplish. And when Jesus said that tonight you'll deny me three times, Peter tried to prove that not true. Tried to prove the words of God not true. Man, is that a struggle in our lives? To try to prove that we're not broken sinners in need of a Savior, but we're something worthwhile? (laughs) Come on. We're just sinners. We're all in the same boat. We need him. We're not special on our own. We need the Messiah. We need the Savior. And in that moment when Jesus told him what his sin was gonna be, man, it should have been the moment where he just fell and he said, I'm so sorry. I don't want that to be true. I wish there was something I could do, but now that you said it, I know that it's true because you said it. And everything you say is true. See the words of Jesus. They're so profound and they're so powerful. And in this moment, Peter's actions... They don't carry much weight. As a matter of fact, they're counterproductive because he isn't in step with the Spirit. He isn't lined up with God. But Jesus' words and his actions are always perfectly aligned with the Father. Here's the big difference between Peter and Jesus in this moment. Peter just got done praying in the garden. What was he doing while he was praying? Sleeping. He wasn't praying. Remember how this whole passage starts? This whole passage starts very simply. Verse 18, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. You see the difference? Jesus had just got done praying. Peter had been sleeping while he was supposed to be praying. The difference is one of them is walking in perfect relationship with the Father and therefore responds exactly the way the Father wants them to in the moment. The other is falling asleep in the time when they're supposed to be connecting with God. Peter wasn't in the spirit at all. He wasn't in a place. He doesn't produce the fruit of the Spirit. Chopping a guy's ear off is not the fruit of the Spirit. That's not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, or self-control. It's none of those things. It's all the opposite of those things. He's playing the same game that everyone else is playing. Even though he's a follower of Jesus in that moment, he's not in step with the Spirit. Jesus, however, just got done in the chapter before in Jerusalem. He was praying, and he's sitting there praying to the Father, and he says, Tonight, God... Tonight, Father, tonight's the night. Glorify yourself completely and do it through me. See, he knows the big picture of what his father wants. His, his father's job is, is to receive glory. And he knows that he has a job to do, which is to bring glory to his father and through him. And there's only going to be one way that tonight he's going to be able to bring glory to God. See, he knows who he is. And he knows who he is on an identity level because he knows his father and he sees how his father sees him. And because he knows how his father sees him, he's not trying to prove anything to Peter. He's not trying to prove anything to these soldiers. He's not trying to prove anything to anyone. He already has a rock-solid identity. Rock-solid identity. And in prayer, he just receives the truth from God. And he knows who he is. He knows who he's called to. And he knows what his job is. He knows the big plan of God that is to glorify him. And he knows what the objective is at the end, is to bring people back to unity. And he prays all that stuff. And then when he walks out, He's ready. And he's ready to do whatever it is that God wants him to do. And in the moment when they falsely accuse him, in the moment when they hit him, in the moment when everything goes wrong, in the moment when, when the intensity starts to ratchet up higher and higher, there's going to be this deep need for him to have a rock-solid identity and trust in Jesus, and this is, or in the Father. And this is why. This is why. Because the kingdom of God is not built on the strength of men. The kingdom of God is not built through loyalty, through determination, through effort, through skill. It's not built through any of those things. You see, Peter, he wanted to grit his teeth and he wanted to get it done and he wanted to make sure that this kingdom of God goes where it needs to go. It doesn't work that way. The kingdom of God is built in rest. It's built in rest in the Father. We listen to the Father. We trust the Father. And no matter how hard it is, we submit and obey the Father. And when we walk forward in that way, things change. And so here it is. Jesus stands in front of them all. He stands in front of them all. Who is it that you're looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And here's the moment. The moment that we've all been waiting for. For all of history. The redemption of our souls. And there's one thing that stands in the way of the redemption of our souls and what has been. And it's these three words of Jesus, signing the contract, giving himself over to them, owning the truth of his calling in the moment, stepping forward. And he says, I am he. And the spirit of the living God flows out of his mouth. It's an amazing moment starts a process for 24 hours. He knows exactly what's going to happen. For 24 hours, it's going to be torture. And it won't end until he speaks three more words. It is finished. And he'll cry him from a cross. The breath that comes out of his mouth, it's the same breath that said, it is, let there be light. It's the same breath that came out of his mouth that, that breathed into the nostrils of man and gave it life. It's the same breath that blows back the Red Sea, and pushes it up into a wall. It's the same whisper out of the burning bush. It's the same breath that he will say it is finished. It's the same breath that will happen a few days later when Peter has come to terms and understood that he's a broken man and he and all of his friends will be sitting on their knees at Pentecost in an upper room again like Jesus did and they'll be sitting there in prayer and they'll be seeking the heart of the Father and seeking what is it now that we're supposed to do to represent you to glorify you and the wind the breath that came out of the mouth of God will come upon them in tongues of fire and it will fill their hearts and it will fill their spirits so that Peter himself the one who failed so bad will now step forward full of this very breath this wind wind of God and he will stand up in front of 3,000 plus people and he will speak the truth and we're told that it will cut them to the heart. And it'll cut them to the heart and 3,000 people that day will give their lives to following Jesus and come to have that spirit fill their lives and begin a process where the power of God is no longer just contained in the lips of the I am who came and rested here. But now he allows his spirit, that wind, that power, that fire to rest within us, the broken sinners who follow and depend on Jesus the way he depended on his father. So I want to ask you a question. Your neighborhood, your family, your workplace, does God have a moment for you? Are you reacting or are you acting? Do you know what his plan is for you? Do you know what his intention is? What his kingdom plan is for your workplace, for your neighborhood, for your family? Are you ready in the moment when it comes to seize the moment he has for you? that action, that in all the time squareness of our lives, the deeper, the fuller action, that authority is given to you. That authority is given to each of us. The power of God, the wind of the Holy Spirit, is available to you. And he has a moment planned. He has a special word of love for you to speak. He has a special word of truth that he wants you to proclaim. There's an action, a step forward that you need to take. And as you stay in prayer, and as you hear from the Lord, and as you know your own identity, and the people who he's called you to be around, he has something special for you. And there will be a moment when the deeper word, the deeper action, has a chance to express itself through you, and the power of God will be available to you in that moment. Amen? Let's pray.